What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Luke Page Podcast, episode number 54. Um, if you're not subscribed to this, I'm releasing every, a new episode every couple of weeks, so make sure you click the subscribe button. Uh, also, you can follow me over on Instagram at Luke underscore page. Now, right now, depending when you're listening to this, but on the 7th of December, 2021, the Leading Coach is reopening its doors. Now, Leading Coach is a program that helps coaches who are making on average between zero and $5,000 a month, help them make a, uh, helps them grow a six-figure business. So right now for the next four days only until Friday, let me check the date on this, Friday the 10th of December, the leading coach is now open. So you can apply for that. Uh, I'm going to chuck the link in the show notes for that one. Now, this episode, I catch up with Luke Lehman. Luke and I were actually in, um, we're coached by the same person. We're we're in a program together. And um, this is a really cool chat. Um, Luke is a a fighter pilot. He's grown multiple seven, eight-figure businesses. He's an investor. He's a transformational coach. Got a wealth of knowledge. And we have a really good chat. And this one's all about how to move through your fear and elevate your life and business. Welcome to the Luke Page Podcast. I am here to inspire people to live a life that they love. It's why I do what I do. Join me on the pursuit of my life's vision and my own business success through meeting amazing business owners, entrepreneurs, and forward-thinking people that are here to make impact and change the world. Yeah. So what's, what's the, how did you actually get into um, uh, entrepreneurship? By accident. <laughs> I actually started entrepreneurship a little bit of a, I started at my, my first business. I started thinking that I was going to do some executive coaching, basically the framework of, of being a fighter pilot and teaching into executive coaching. I did it once. Mm. I made 750 bucks. I took that all to the bank and stored it all in one spot. <laughs> and then the rest of it was, um, I kind of, you know, a natural evolution of one to the other, to the next. Um, but that was, you know, I never set out, I actually set out to be an airline pilot and then that didn't work out very well. So, sorry, I don't know if I caught that right. So you were saying that you were originally planning to teach the principles of what you learned from being a fighter pilot to executives. Yeah. 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 Right. So when it was the fighter pilot, was that kind of the, um, the, a big thing that shaped your life? Would you say? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, being a fighter pilot was, well, it was foundational. Yeah. I would say that, you know, it's, you know, as you go, as you go from the point from high school to college and you go, okay, that would be a neat thing to do. And then, you know, from like the, the concept of manifestation as you kind of set strategy and set course and set to move forward that, the road narrows and it becomes more practical or probable that you're going to get to that point. So at some point in college, it was like a far off. Well, that would be a neat thing to do. And then college graduates and they say, well, you're going to go to pilot training. That's a cool thing to do. And then from there, you narrow it down further and further until you're selected to go fly fighters. And that would, so, so it was foundational. And then the next 10 years, the thing about thing that folks don't understand about aviation is that it's you're, there's a varying degree of, of aviation and, and it really takes about 10 years to get to that level of mastery. Mm. Um, so I would say really the 10 years that I flew jets were still all very foundational. Um, you know, I got to kind of the tip of the game there, 
but they they did set me up for what would become the the principles and the foundations of an entrepreneurial journey down the road. Yeah. So when, cause like I've, I'm quite ignorant when it comes to the whole aviation scene, right? So when you were in college, so you went to college to study aviation? No, I went to college initially to be an engineer and I failed C plus plus my freshman year. So that worked out terribly. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a textile major, but you know, in the, in the U S air force, you have to have a college education to be able to be an officer. You have to be an officer to be able to be a pilot. So it's like just a prerequisite to be able to go do that. And what I figured out was all they really cared about was your GPA. So I'm like, well, let's let's just find something that the GPA is good in. What's the GPA? Uh, the grade point average in it's in college. Okay. Okay. So when was the point where you're like, um, well, I want to be an actual fighter pilot. And in particular, not just any pilot, a fighter pilot. Yeah. What made you go down that path? You know, Luke, that's like, I, I don't know. I don't know. When I try to put the pieces back together, if you back up probably 10 years prior to that, I used to make my parents chase life flight helicopters, the ones that land at the scene of the crash and they fly you over to the hospital. We would land. And I thought that, that aviation in general, rotary wing helicopters were just awesome. Mm. And I don't remember the marker of when you said, all right, now you want to go be a fighter pilot. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's interesting in the coaching realm and the entrepreneurial realm. And some of the things that I learned much later in life about the sensations I was likely feeling, I can point back to a specific time on a couch in Del Rio, Texas, just marred in fear. There was, you know, what if this, what if that, because once you make the leap and you say, I'm going to be a fighter pilot, if you fail, mm-hmm. you don't fail into other pilot areas. You fail, fail. They kick you out. You're just done at the end of it. Why so it's kind of one of those things. It's just, it's just part of the deal. They just, they say goodbye to you. Um, and they, mm. you know, the interesting, it depends on where you are. Sometimes now they'll give you the chance to go fly other airplanes, but if you're kind of early in it, they just say goodbye. Yeah. And you know, when I w- I remember going through that and thinking through the the risk tolerance at being 22 and, you know, Luke, as we get a little older, is like my ability to accept risk is higher based on a demonstrated past performance. Mm-hmm. I know that like my history says I have the ability to learn and to grow and to, to accomplish new things. But at that point I didn't have that. I was 22 years old and I was sitting on the couch going, what do I do? I really would like to fly fast jets, but if I go this other course, I have a high likelihood that I'll at least pass. And, you know, so I, I don't know. I think honestly, when it comes down to it, it was really some just um, a little bit of the environment just unfolded in front of me and the opportunity presented itself. And I took the next step, you know, to get into it. But I, I don't yeah. really remember when I said, I'm going to be that. Mm-hmm. And, and frankly, in our community, we really look down upon that for folks that are really, um, you know, that are so adamant, they're like, I'm going to be a fighter pilot. We really discourage that kind right. of attitude. So like, um, uh, do you have like an indication of how many people actually try to um, become a fighter pilot, but don't make it? I don't. Well, is you know, it's, it's interesting. I kind of joke because it's like every time I go, I used to go to an air show or something, somebody, you know, some 40 year old man would be like, I was going to be a fighter pilot. I'm like, no, <laughs> that was going to be me up there. 
Yeah. yeah it was going to be me. And then, you know what they always say, but I was going to be a fighter pilot, but my eyes were bad. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. right. And, and then because of that, you never went to pilot training. And then, you know, the next six years of becoming a fighter pilot. So uh, it was, it's kind of a joke. Um, but yeah, I, you know, when you, when you kind of look back on the trajectory of those things, it's um, the, the process, it, it, it's just methodical to be able to go from, one step to the next step to the next step to the next step along the way. Um, but I, I, yeah, I really, honestly, when I think about it, I, it was kind of a little bit happenstance to become an aviator along the way. Mm, what's like the, um, is, um, like aviation, right? What's the, like the, the, the toughest type of, um, job to get in aviation or like type of type of aircraft to fly? Is it what you're doing? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I mean, I, I flew, Probably not. No. I mean, yeah. it's like, I, I haven't flown in 10 years now, um, right. but it's so, you know, to go back to your original question, I don't think I really answered it that, you know, the number of people it's hard to say, I, mm. I don't know. It's like you, you we say in the U S that 1% of the population serve in the military. Okay. Well, let, let's, so that's, let's narrow that down. And then inside of that, there's some portion that, you know, become the officer cadre. So that's probably like 20% of the 1%. And then of those officers, there's probably like two or 3% of those people that become aviators and then 50% of those people. So you're still, I mean, you're in a very small cross-section of folks that have flown high-performance airplanes. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm bouncing all over your questions there. I'm sorry, Luke, for that. But, you know, as you, as you kind of uh, think through it there, uh, and we'll have to come back to the other question because I completely lost now for you. Sorry about that. But anyway, the, you know, the narrowing yeah. it down of the people that are qualified to do so. Um, but oh, I, I know where I was going with it. It's pr- probably the hardest is landing on an aircraft carrier. That's the Navy, and I was an Air Air Force pilot. But mm. you know, throwing yourself at the deck of a moving ship at 250 miles an hour is a pretty harrowing thing. I've never done it, but you know, I give a lot of kudos to the Navy uh, fighter crew. Um, but there's also in just mm. in aviation in general, there's a lot of I mean, a lot of lot of missions that that require quite a bit of skill. Yeah, definitely. So um, with um, now with the fighter pilot thing, like what are you actually, um, what are you doing these things? Because I, I, I wouldn't have a clue. Like I'm just like, okay, fighter pilot, well, I guess they go to war and stuff like that. But I, I honestly don't know. What do you do? Like what's a general fighter pilot do? Well, truth be told. So, you know, it's funny because we'll, we'll, we'll see like of your listeners who can discern and they, and they figure this thing out. I was actually an attack pilot. So if you look at my qualification in the Air Force, I was an 11F, which means that I was a pilot with a fighter designation, but I actually flew the A-10 Warthog, which is an attack aircraft. Mm-hmm. Our mission was um, close air support, which meant that when ground forces got into fights, it was our job to end them. The majority of the fighter community, as you would think about, are the what we call the pointy nose fighters. And those are the guys that zort around at eight or 900 miles an hour and shoot air-to-air missiles. So there's really, in the community, there's a, quite a few different types of mission sets, air-to-ground, air-to-air. Uh, what I flew was, was primarily air-to-ground. And the way that I tell the story, I, you know, I never picked a fight, but I ended quite a few. It's kind of the mm. vernacular I use there. Pretty nuts. Like, and how did you feel about doing all that? I mean, were you going to, so you're, you're, this is in other countries, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, so, the, for my tenure, it was Afghanistan and Iraq, obviously for where we were operating there. Yeah. How did you feel about like doing that the mindset? Um, like, is it, um, is it like, you know, I'm, I'm doing this to, 
for, to save my country? Like what's the mindset going through when you're going through all that process? Because it's pretty full on, right? So the average person. Yeah, yeah it's, full on. it's not that. I mean, some some people have that holistic. You yeah. know, I, I'm an American, I'm an Aussie, you know, and I do this for for God and country kind of thing. Really, you know, the I, and I've thought a lot about this. And and it applies a lot to the entrepreneurial journey and, and you know into the coaching world because it's it's about the team is really you know when you go out there the the willingness to be gone away from your friends and family for six months is really about the thirty or so folks that you're there with or the hundred or two hundred folks that you're there you know there you're there to support on the ground it's mm. not really about the ten thousand or hundred thousand you you just don't think about it so you know, it's such a macro or meta scale. It's, it's much smaller there, but you know, I kind of, when you talk about the training for it, it's um, we do, and you can do this in anything. We do so much repetition that it becomes second nature. And it's, you know, it's a very interesting study in psychology and some of the brain science is to think about how you basically reprogram your brain. And we can do this, right? We do this as, you know, health and wellness coaches. We do this as uh, business coaches is that we're, we're doing subconscious reprogram is essentially what we're doing, building habits into the older portions of our brain that allow us to have that so that we can recall those things as second nature. And, and that's really what it is. You've done it once you would roll in and combat, as we would say, so we would tip our wings from wings level and we would point our nose at the ground. I've done it a thousand or 2000 or 3000 times before, and it's all second nature. So, you know, the analogy is when I go run you know, a few miles now, I don't think about the steps, the steps come naturally. Those are subconscious. So it's just kind of a, a matter of tenacity of getting through it. Do you have, do you have like specific moments throughout, you know, your career there where it's like, man, this is a close call. Or this is a really scary moment. Or this is one of the hardest things I had to do. Like, do you have specific moments that you can recall? I, I do. And, you know, the funny thing is always when I was being a buffoon, it was just <laughs> I, was, I was doing things the wrong way. You know, I mean, here's the, the truth of aviation. This just goes for commercial aviation or military aviation or anything. The airplanes are wildly smart, you know, artificial intelligence and the new fifth and sixth generation fighters and, you know, commercial airplanes. Uh, I did fly for Delta for a while and I mean, the airplane will land itself is, you know, it will actually it'll take off and land itself the whole way. What, mm. what happens is that humans get in the way and humans start to think and they put their processes in place. And frankly, our brains don't move at the speed of, of the systems. And yeah, pr- probably, I you know, I can recall one. I was actually in Florida. I was a relatively young guy and I, um, we said in the community, one of the, one of the cardinal rules was when you were in a turn so when you're low altitude, in order to do an aggressive turn, you usually roll the wings up to about 90 degrees and then you pull at about five or six G's. And that keeps the wings moving across the horizon. The cardinal sin is if you look down. And the reason is if you take that 90 degrees and you over-rotate it to 110, there's no more lift. The airplane is actually falling towards the ground and you're, you're helping it, you know, you're going to pull mm. it. And I did it. You know, of course I did. Right. I was probably 24 years old and I looked down and, and to take a note or something. And as I looked back up, I was about 30 degrees, nose low pointed towards the ground. So you're and, slightly upside down. This so I'm getting this. Yeah. So yeah, 90 degrees yes. is you're basically going you know, from that to that, but then you were yes. 
tipped a little bit further. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And pulling yeah. towards the ground. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I looked up and it's like, oh, this is not going to work well, you know, and you roll out and you pull up and you, you know, you recover. I think I recovered it at about, um, about 30 or 40 feet above the ground. It was really close. Um, mm. And, you, you know, you come back out and you're like, oh, that was, uh, that was scary. That, that didn't yeah. work out very well. Um, and how but, fast but are you traveling when you're that close to the ground? How fast are you going here? Uh, that was, was, that airplane's pretty slow. That was probably about 350 miles an hour, but that's, yeah. a, that's pretty slow for a fighter. Yeah. Usually about right. 500 yeah. for those guys. Well, I mean, that's like uh 350 in, in kilometers. That's like 500 or so cases. Like we a go billion. Cases. Yeah. Kilometers is probably a billion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's like, what would you say, like, now that you've, you've gone through all that, how has that allowed you to just come into the business world? Like from you going through all the training um, and everything you've had to basically withstand to get to the position that you were at actually, you know, operating a, a fighter pilot, um, a fighter air plot, aircraft, how's all yeah. that helped you position you become to building businesses and running your own business and everything like that? Yeah. In, in the decade that I've been running businesses and, and growing scaling businesses is that the um, there's three components and I, I call it the entrepreneurial accelerator framework it, and business is just one component of it. You got to have some business yeah. savvy. You need to understand how to generate revenue and do operations delivery and, and account for it. The two missing components are um, high performance leadership. And then the second is behavioral science. And so in a little bit of reverse order, the behavioral science component of it is having an understanding of how people operate. And, mm-hmm. and you need that to lead people, to sell to people, to fulfill people. And, and is the deeper that you can go in that understanding of how people behave and what motivates them, what causes them frustration, the greater success you'll have as a business owner. But the top of that is high performance leadership. And that's really what I think that the air force and, and flying jets really honed in was how to be a leader. Yeah. And you know, I, what I realized Luke and a little bit later in life is that not only are, not only does everybody not desire to be a leader, but they're also just not very good at right. leadership. And it's, a, what, what do you think? That's the case? I, I don't think people, I don't think people try very hard to be honest with you. You know, it's like, there is a, there's some composition of leadership that if you study it, you can learn it and, and you can then replicate the behaviors of high performers. You know, what, what is it that this person does differently than this person? Mm. You know, for me, what it comes down to is habits and choices mm-hmm. is what habits do you consistently do day in and day out? And then what choices do you make? And is it, you know, as a leader that the composition of that, if for folks that have not been forced into or thrust into a leadership role in the past, don't think about becoming selfless. And the composition of a leadership is that you really have to become empathetic to think about the challenges that are facing the people around you. And it's just not natural. It, it doesn't come naturally to everyone. And I, don't, I know for some folks it does, and, and it's easy. But mm-hmm. for a lot of business owners, especially, they weren't naturally leaders. They were naturally scientists or engineers or bookkeepers or, or whatever it is. And they had to learn that skill set. So do you think this is from like, you know, you've got your analytical brain and you've got the emotional side type thing. Do you, are you saying that say if someone is generally more analytical thinking, logical thinking, 
then maybe they have a little bit of detachment when it comes to leadership because you're saying that, hey, you really need to have empathy for people and really put yourself in their shoes and understand what they're going through, see things from their, their point of view so you can help them, um, you know, move in the direction that where you're heading, where you're taking the company. Are you, is that what you're roughly saying there? Yeah. When I think about it, Luke, it's like a straight line right down the middle of your forehead. You know, yeah. for, for folks that are left brain, you're just going to have to learn to be right brain. For folks that are more creative, you're going to have to grab the analytical compositions to be able to figure those things out. And by, you know, by and large, we are naturally one or the other. Mm. And as you begin to hone your leadership skills, and you can ascertain what you know where your weaknesses lie. You know, for for me, it was right brained. I am mm. incredibly analytical. Mm-hmm. I mean, for, for all measures, what made me very successful as a fighter pilot was my ability to follow checklist and you know to think critically, think ahead of the. We, we would say think ahead of the airplane. Well, you'd have to sorry to jump in there, but like with the fighter pilots, I'm I'm assuming majority because i engineer background right i'm assuming that most fighter pilots have to be severely analytical because of or what the steps that you've got to go through and how deep and, and, and intense it is is that yeah. I mean, do you find that most fighter pilots are usually like the logical thinkers hands down yeah absolutely but you know i'll give you the example here is um when when we would show up in the airplane this airplane had a, the, the engines were called TF-34 engines, turbofan engines, and they had a very specific whine to them. So the foreign fighters knew the sound of it. And so mm-hmm. did the U.S. Or, or, or coalition troops. But what I, what I noticed often was that pilots in absence of leadership would show up and they would match their energy to the situation on the ground. So the dudes on the ground may be getting in a big firefight. And all of a sudden the person in the cockpit has this elevated energy and he's screaming and, you know, and it's like, that's not, it's not what anybody needs. And that's, Mm. so all the left brain and analytical components that you have about quickly solving problems really Mm -hmm. just needed to be met with a right brain component of a little bit of empathy and a little bit of, emotional stability to support what was going on the ground. And it was, that was probably the true catalyst when I'm like, wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. I will succeed greater when I begin to use the other half of my brain. Is that because they're hooked into you're all radioed up and they can hear what's going on the ground and then it's intense and there's, and, and they're also getting sucked into the type of energy you're talking about. Is that, is that what you, is that what you mean there? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, we, but we see it in life all the time, right? I mean, if you walk into Thanksgiving dinner here this week and, yeah. um, you know, as we're recording this and everybody's sitting around on the couch and they're lethargic and watching football, you're probably going to join them, right? You're not mm. going to walk in and, and be all excited and cheering. You're going hey! to, yeah, yeah, go Panthers. Yeah. <laughs> but in the same thing, when everybody else is all excited, you're going to assume that energy. And, you know, the interesting thing about leadership. And one of the things that I spend a lot of time on is maintaining energy. So, you know, there's the energy that you give, there's the energy that you take, but there's also the energy that you create. And, and that's the hard thing for entrepreneurs is the energy that you create. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I know that, you know, because you are an entrepreneur and you feel it is sometimes you wake up and you just feel like today's not your day that mm-hmm. you, know, you don't feel like you didn't, you didn't close the sales that you needed yesterday. 
you got pain in the butt clients, and then all of a sudden you've got to create this energy. And that's, that is one of the composition, one of the components of true leadership is your ability to generate energy. Awesome. Mate, I'm all about the leadership thing. I mean, my uh, program of Craig is called the leading coach. I think it's like this, the most important thing, you know, we're trying to, um, in my industry, as we're coaches, we're building this audience. Like you've got to be a leader, simple as that. Yeah. Um, did you finish that? I, I don't know if, is it a triangle here? You said it's like the three point thing. Um, yeah. So it's really, as I draw it out as three circles, you know, the bottom left circle would be um, your business strategy and execution. The bottom right circle would be um, behavioral science and the top circle would be um, the high performance leadership. And then, you know, I give, give it a name in the middle. We, I call it the modern CEO, right? That's the trifecta of what it takes for, for a leader to, you know, to yeah. function in today's world. Sorry, I missed the, um, but you know how you said you, that, that prep sheet, is this the prep sheet you're telling me about? Uh, I don't know if it's on there. I can send it to you. It's probably not on there. Yeah, you can send it, mate. You can tell what brain I am. You can tell what, what definitely what uh, dominant brain you are, mate. <laughs> I'm like, no, nah, don't worry about time. it. And you're like, hey, man, take yeah. this, take this. So <laughs> when that with those three circles, I, I miss one. So you've got the top one yeah. was like the business strategy. You got to have the business the mindset. Bottom, yeah, bottom left is, bottom is left. business strategy and execution. Right. Bottom right is. Uh, behavioral science and then the top would be high performance leadership cool let's talk about the behavioral science so what does that mean exactly that that gets into a lot of the brain-based psychology about how how do we business especially for coaches right is is you know you the deeper you can go into an understanding of the brain it's it's the most powerful organ in the body but it's also the most debilitating and you know the analogy i think it's um alan's book um getting things done or, or whatever it's called talks about um this concept that if the brain were smart that when you went to the grocery store you would walk logically down the exact aisle that you needed to go and you would pick up the exact groceries for the meal that you needed and then the brain would actually process and it would think forward and it would say, well, this is going to be, you know, this milk I can buy now because I'm not going to come back to the store for three days and the expiration date will carry it forward. Mm. It's not, it's stupid. It's a terrible, terrible, you know, organ up there that requires training. And that's why we have to create lists. And, and when we think about behavioral sciences, you know, just to kind of get into the, and I'm no neuroscientist, but getting into the reptilian portion of our brain that's, that gets us through that fight or flight and then getting us in, you know, upwards as we move forward to the prefrontal cortex is that we get to be able to choose now of what, what organ we're going to use. And, and then even kind of getting into some of the other components where habits are formed and having an understanding of that, especially as a coach, especially as a coach, but, but for me more as an entrepreneur is that I use those things everywhere. I use it to close sales. I use it to um, remedy conflict in my staff. I use it to, you know, in my own world as a CEO of the, the internal battle that I'm having with myself, I, I am no different than anyone else. And this is one of the things Luke, that people just don't understand is that the, you know, the reptilian portion of your brain is thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years old. There's nothing that you can do in this short lifespan that's going to overcome the evolution that got you to that fight or flight. Mm-hmm. And it's natural. You know, we all, we all choose, we see something and we say, is it going to deliver me pleasure or is it going to cause me harm? And then we choose, what are we going to do with it? So it's a fantastic, you know, it's a, an awesome study. 
and what it takes to be able to learn and to grow and to influence and impact others using an understanding of the brain. Cool, man. I was like, um, when you were saying that, you you started sounding like an actor, and I'm like, what is what he sound like, man? You, that's where my oh, brain goes. Um, I had this question. <laughs> what was it? It was something to do with behavior. That's it. Do you do? Because I know that you've you've grown like multiple um, seven eight figure businesses. Have you done much dealings with say um, early stage? business because this audience here is coaches and they're most of them making under six figures right so early stage business yeah. um do you would you know like what are the common behavioral challenges that usually these type of um, business owners face and have that really hold well, them the, back from growing their business yeah the, the good news is so it's hard to put metrics on businesses, right? Because they're all different. If you're in a service-based yes. business with no cost of goods, $100,000 of gross revenue may look like a million in another business that's got $900,000 of cost of goods, right? So it's hard mm-hmm. for me to say that a business that's a 100K business or a million-dollar business or a $10 million business functions the same. Mm-hmm. The easier metrics is to say how many staff are there. Yep. Well, if you're a solopreneur under $100,000, you could also be a solopreneur at a million, and, mm-hmm. and have an e-commerce store or you know, something like that. Yep. Is the, the good news here is that it doesn't change. The, the same conditions that are present mm-hmm. for a solopreneur are the same conditions that are present for someone that's leading a team of three to five at that million dollar mark or whatever it is. And it's the same conditions that are at a team that you're leading 30 or 40 people for you. It's the same things for you. And I, I will tell you that the common theme is that your business reflects you always. Mm. And you know, what's interesting for coaches, well, that's, it's actually more broad than that. Life reflects you. You get everything that you put out. And, and this is, this is one of the true most powerful components is that when we accept responsibility and this is hard, Luke, this is hard for me to do as an entrepreneur is to look at things that are failures and go, where am I responsible for that? Mm. What was my accountability in this piece? Yep. So, you know, for those um, younger coaches, it's all fear, it's fear-based, but I have the same fear-based decision at a $10 million company as I do at a hundred thousand dollar company, because the fear is me. Mm. And I heard this saying, somebody said the other day, um, it was in a, um, a group in this, the, the it was CEO, $6 million company, something like that. And he mm-hmm. says, um, I'm not going to hire this next person because I'm old school with my finances. And I just like, I almost, I didn't say anything, but I almost lost my mind. I'm like, you're not old school. You're scared. Mm-hmm. You're scared that if you outlay this hundred thousand dollars, that that's not going to get you a return on investment. But if you weren't scared, if I gave you a hundred thousand dollars right now and said, I encourage you to make this decision, this is scot-free. What would your decision be? And it's, it's easy, right? I, I would yeah. absolutely hire the next team member. Mm-hmm. It's the fear-based decisions that we say, well, I'm not willing to take on this new product line, launch this new product, um, hire this new team member because we're fear-based. So that's, you know, we could go on all day long, Luke, about that, but that's the, it doesn't change. The business just reflects you and it reflects you at a varying degree at the size and scale of the business. Yeah. Awesome. So like, how do we get past our fears? If you've got someone where, um, you know, they're 
constantly wanting to, well, they're being blocked by their fear, right? How do you take someone? I mean, you're with your, your transformational, because you're a transformational coach, right? With your clients. And that's going to be the thing. That's basically the thing that we're talking about all the time, right? Is getting past our own fears. So what's the yeah. process that you, you're taking through? And, and, you know, for those listening to this that are being held back by their fears, what can they do about it? The, the, the easiest way, there's, there's two extremely easy ways for me to do this. And, and, I, and I do it to myself all the time. It's, it's interesting about coaches. Mm. I love coaches. <laughs> Co- coaches don't do very well self-coaching. You mm. know, the thing, the advice that you would give to someone else, you can't take that same pill. Yep. You can see it in someone mm. else. But when you look at yourself, you can't see it. Yeah. Uh, so before I tell you the answer, which I will tell you my take on it, is I seek counsel everywhere from everybody, and I give it different weight. You know, if I want to talk to someone about business, well, I'm going to go seek someone that's done it before, and I'm going to ask for their opinion. I ask my wife, I ask my brother, um, I ask my friends, business partners. I, I seek counsel because I'm looking for a broader perspective. So, you know, here, here's, the, here's the two mechanisms for it. The first is zooming out from the situation. So, you know, if you think about this, I'm looking out at the window. I live in Charleston, South Carolina. There's a boat in a river. Yeah. And if I think about what I can see through this window at this large yacht, I am limited by the constraints of what I see in this window. But if I zoom out... I would see that there's a mouth of the river very close. I would see that there's a bridge to the aft. And if I zoom out further, I would see that we're in this, you know, giant land mass as the United States. But a lot of times what happens in when we get stuck in fear is that we zoom in so far. I don't know if you've heard this. Someone said, what's focal is causal. Have you ever heard that? No, I've never heard that. We, what's focal is causal. We think that this thing is going to, it's like the most important thing. This person quit on my team or this client stopped paying me or whatever it is. And we're like, this is it. This is the end. Mm. But if you can zoom out from that and realize that the boat in the Harbor is the same thing as this is just one client for you on your client journey. Mm -hmm. And that really what you choose to do is, and this is a you know, different component is how you choose to respond is how your true power is. You can choose to say, well, my business is finished and I'm not going to make it in this world. Or you can choose to say, thank goodness for this. I've now have more time and energy to create my next milestone. So that's the first one, zoom out. You know, that's the, take, take the bigger look at what that is. Yeah. So it's the almost second- like, you know, the, the problems that we go through in our business and it might be like, oh my God, this is massive. It's a catastrophe, but it's just so small when you zoom out. When you look at the big yeah. picture, if you look at, you know, think about where your business is going to be in five, 10 years, right? Have a look at the whole world. There's, you know, your one business out of a hundred million businesses in the world, for example, um, your one little issue, that type of thing. So it's just almost like um, stop thinking that this big issue is like the whole world revolves around this thing. Is that what you, that's, that's what we're getting at here. Yeah. It, you know, I'll give you an analogy for coaches, right? If you're a health yeah. and wellness coach and you've got a client who is trying to lose weight, if I came to you and said, Luke, I'd like to, you know, you're, you're my fitness coach. And I'd like to lose 20 pounds. And I'm like, oh, Luke, I totally blew it. I ate a cheeseburger last night. I, you know, I'm never going to make it. I'm never going to meet my goal. And you're like, Luke, nobody ever got fat from eating one cheeseburger and they never got skinny from running one mile. 
So get back on the horse and move forward. But, but it's easy for you as my fitness coach to tell me that it's harder for people in their business. And it's always money. It's mm. it, usually at that stage in the game, they come back to it and they say, well, I lost a client that we'll just say, that's probably one of the biggest ones, right? My client quit. I can't get enough customers. I did this launch and there wasn't any money in it, you know, whatever it is. And they get stuck in that fear and they think that what's focal is causal. So what, what happened here that my client left means that I'll never have any more clients ever again. Mm-hmm. No, that's not true. You just lost that client today in this minute and really in this second. And we've already moved from, forward from it. So, yeah, that's one of the things I'll give you the yeah. other one here as well. The second, the second technique is the same probably that all coaches do when coaching other people is you have to think of it as a second person. So one of the things that I would say, if, you know, if I'm looking at Luke page and I say, I would like to know how Luke page would think about this thing mm. is I do my best to solve the problem as you would see it. So what, what considerations would you put into my problem? What would you ask me if you were sitting in the same situation? And then there's another beautiful way to do second person looks. And it's you, if I look at me, a version of me, and I move it in time. So I then say, what would Luke Lehman have said six years ago? Or what would I say six years from now about this problem? And, you know, when you, it's a different way of zooming out to think about it, but I just, I try to change the perception. Mm -hmm. I mean, things happen all the time. I, I lose contracts all the time. Business partners fall out. Bad. I just got out of an extremely bad business relationship that took took years to fix and litigation, and it was very unpleasant. Mm. But it didn't define me, and it didn't mean that I was a failure in business, and it didn't mean that I will never have business opportunities again. So when I look forward, I say, "What would Luke Lehman think at fifty years old about the significance of this problem?" Right, and so that that little technique there basically detaches yourself from whatever it is because I think what you're saying there is when we say we have a failure we make a big mistake it's almost like oh that's me yeah I've made this mistake so you're saying that when we actually detach we look in from you know a third person is that what we'd call it looking from like a third yes, person. Yeah. It's a yeah, second or third person. And you know, yeah. it depends on if I use you or me in a different time frame. but yeah, same, same concept. Yeah. So then that helps us detach from, okay, it's, this is not just me. It's just a situation. It's just something that's happened in time. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Yep. Mate, I, um, one thing I was looking through your bio, one thing that stood out to me, which I wanted to run by was the um, two things. So the intentional alignment, <clears throat> what's this intentional alignment thing? This sparked my curiosity because you said on your bio that you yeah. live with intentional alignment. And I'm like, oh, I like the sound of this. Well, it's, it's, it's easy. I, and I can tell you the origin of this. About six years ago, seven, uh, it's been a little more than that now, seven or eight years ago, I, I'm, I am a meticulous goal setter. Yeah. I believe fully in um, the law of synchronicity. I believe in manifestation. I believe that you are moving with energy towards something. Um, And I wrote down at the top of my goal sheet, find your why. When you can answer the question with your heart instead of your head, you'll know you're on your way. 
and I just left it, right? Because I, I, you know, I was kind of, well, I wouldn't say that I was lost. And by all measures, I was married, had a child, um, good business. But if you can imagine coming out of this fighter pilot world is, um, we had a very clear sense of purpose. Everyone knew what their role was and what they were do, there to do. When I got out of the military, I lost that. You know, now you're on your own and you have to find this sense of, sense of purpose and alignment. And for me, I measure it. You know, it's an interesting thing for coaches, right? And, and this goes back to like uh, Russell Brunson and, the, and these guys talk about health, wealth, and relationships are the three ways that you can make money as a coach. That happens to be also the same way that I measure my own life. I also love frameworks and diagrams. So you're going to find that this one looks the same, but my, my life, my measure of my life, the, the entirety, entirety of me is measured in health, wealth, and relationships. And there, there's a simple math equation there, right? If I believe that each of those are 33% important, and I'll give you the first portion of that mm. is my health, right? So yeah. if I sleep seven hours per night, and I generally want to exercise 45 minutes per day, that leaves... 15 minutes roughly to consume food each day. Right. And that, that accounts for that eight hours. And then the wealth component is a third of my life. And then the relationships is a third of my life. And somebody's, you know, people say, well, Luke, how do you get, you can't get eight hours a day with your, with your kids. And it's like, I don't, I don't get eight hours a day with my kids. They don't actually want eight hours of me. They're in school and they have their own friends. But on the weekends, when I get 16 hours of them, that accounts for that. So that intentional alignment for me is I have my priorities exactly correct. I know the things that I'm unwilling to waver on. And and I don't mean to project upon your listeners and, and to think that that needs to be their priorities. But what happens, especially in earlier entrepreneurship, is we let go of ourselves. Mm. We get fat. Our relationships begin to suffer at the cost of this starting the business component, you know, and, and all of a sudden it becomes 90% of the thing that we do. And we forego the other components of our life that we, that, you know, that we want to live. So, you know, living with intentional alignment, Luke, you know, I'll just tell you this, like it starts today. It starts with choice. It starts with the framework and, and you may not be able to carve out as a new coach four hours with your family on a Thursday afternoon but you can carve out four minutes or you can carve out 14 minutes. And as you begin to do that, that that's where the happiness lies. And, you know, the answer to the question of find your why the catchphrase of the last few years is the why is the now. And when Mm -hmm. you, when you stop living in this concept of delayed gratification that, well, if I can just make a hundred K then I will do whatever, take a family vacation. If I can just get my first six clients, then I will hire my next team member. It's now this, this is the, yet nothing's guaranteed in the future. And there is no past. You're, you're only living in the present. So cool, man. I love that with the wealth thing they say, are we referring to finances when you say wealth? Yeah. 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 Well, and, and I, and I lumped that all together finances, wealth, it's my revenue production and my own businesses, but it's the entirety of that, you know, that measure of what a dollar will exchange in the world. Mm. And um, I mean, I know I'm going to assume I know what your answer is around here, but like when it comes to what's your thoughts around, you know, doing, uh, working something, whether it's a business or working a career for money, as opposed to following something that you, you know, you're passionate about and doing something that makes you happy. 
Yeah, I, you know, I, I, you might not. We, we may have differences of opinions here. It's hard to say. Um, to me, those those two things need to go hand in hand, and life is a constant balance of those. So you know, it doesn't. It's to me, it's not a matter of choosing one or the other. It's a matter of choosing the path that is the most congruent for you at the time, mm. and you know, make make no bones about it. Everyone's got a boss, you know, I mean, I'm the CEO of a company and I've been CEO of multiple companies, I'm an investor in multiple companies. Everybody's got a boss. So if you think that you're just going to let go of your day job and exchange it for something else, just, just know that you're now beholden to multiple people. Your accountant's going to want some of your time and your bookkeeper and your, you know, your attorney and your clients. And all of a sudden you've got 30 bosses in there. And the worst <laughs> part about that in the beginning is you have one boss that's a terrible boss it's you in the very beginning, you're the world's worst boss. I mean, you know, if you think about it, it's like, Hey, I would like for you to work 16 hours a day. I'm going to pay you dirt money. I would like for you to also work on the weekends. And I would like for you to be willing to forego your relationships and your uh, fulfillment in life in exchange for this job. And it's like, that's a terrible deal. I would never take it. Mm, but exactly. as entrepreneurs, you know, as <laughs> entrepreneurs, you know, to answer your original question, though, I, I don't think it has to be one or the other. And, you mm. know, for coaches that are, especially ones that we've seen this, they're in corporate America and they have a passion to help others. I don't believe one of my favorite um, friends is a flight attendant at American Airlines, and she's also a health coach as well. And she didn't give up her day job at American Airlines. She continues to serve others and has built this fulfillment journey for her without having to give up the other. Gotcha. And the last thing that I wanted to ask you was around, um, you wrote down husband, and I love this, husband first, kids second, everything else third. Most people um, and most parents, it's kids first. So why, mate? Where did this come from? My wife. You know, (laughs) what's funny is that, you know, a lot of times. You legit here? You're from your wife? Yeah, she told me she's like, you shouldn't be children first, right? She, you know, and that's the, and and really, there should be one thing. um, It should be self first. And and that's the piece of it that I probably needed to continue to do some work on on myself there. And, and, you know, my, let's face it, you know, my kids at seven and almost eight and five are going to be out of the house in 10 years and and 13 years. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to be married for another 30 years on the backside of it. And if you let yourself go along the way, you know, you let your, and and that's the thing. And it's, it's kind of interesting because what happens is, um, and I know you're going to be a new, is this your first child? First child, man. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to see it pretty soon is that you, you give them all of your time and energy and then yeah. your relationship yeah. suffers. But what really suffers is your own health and well-being. I, I mean, I was there, you can find some pictures of me on the internet from a few years ago. I was fat, 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 you yeah. know, and it's just because it, my own health had, had become the last priority. And yeah. the irony of all that is that the way that you fix that is by starting with you and, mm. and by getting yourself in the right headspace, getting your body back and into top physical condition. Now you can become better for your spouse and then you become better for your children as well. So you know, there's a big bag of irony in there in the way that we think about priorities. And that, you know, that just goes back to intentional alignment there for me is that 
those are my priorities and they're reflected daily and they each get daily attention to make sure that they're all getting fed appropriately. Yeah. So would you, is that what you'd say? So from advice with, you know, us having our first child, but I mean, there's a lot of listeners here that have, have got kids, right. And they're doing their business. So would you say that as March comes along next year and the baby comes in and life completely changes for us, we go from having the responsibility of not a whole lot, maybe like a little dog, uh, to this yeah. little little human beings, little little fat thing walking around, or not crawling around, sitting around, whatever it is. Would you yeah. say that, Luke? You've actually because what you're going to do is you're going to put all your energy into the baby. Would you say straight away, hey, be aware of all this and make sure you're looking after yourself first, or is there a little bit of a period where you go, now nah, look, you know what, kind of let it go, look after them, and then but you know, make sure you pick things up and start looking after yourself soon after. Or do you reckon you go straight in for it and go, no, remember Luke, remember this conversation, make sure you look after yourself first. Yeah. I don't have an answer for that. You know, the interesting thing is I don't give parenting advice. I'll give you one parenting advice. I'll send you one little tool that you absolutely (laughs) have to have as a parent that I'll, I'll, I'll send it, I'll mail it to you. Um, You know, the, 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 I, I love parenting and that's, it truly is one of my, my, greatest joys in life, more than flying airplanes, more than being an entrepreneur. And, and, you know, the interesting thing about parenting, and this is, you know, in that concept of um, have, do, be, be, do, have is you, it is the one true test in life where you have to just become the thing. You know, you, you can be an employee of a company and then say, I want to be an entrepreneur, but you can't, most folks, don't jump off the ledge and become an entrepreneur and say, this is my thing right now. But in parenting, you do, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. in March, you are jumping off the ledge and you will be a dad. I don't care what your level of preparation is. You're going to be a dad and you're going to be that person immediately. Mm -hmm. And, And if we could only take a chapter in the playbook from our own selves about how well we transition, it's it really, frankly, it's easy. You were not equipped to become a parent. You read a couple of books and then the next day you're responsible for keeping another human alive. And it's like, well, okay, you're actually capable of doing that. So uh, I will not opine. I will not offer you parenting advice, but yeah, probably for the first few months, it's going to be quite. (laughs) Awesome, man, Luke. Well, uh, mate, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, it's been an awesome chat. Um, Where can anyone find you if they'll listen to this? Yeah, I'm all over the socials. LukeLayman.com, you can find me is is probably a great starting point. And I have a, a Facebook group that I'm most engaged in is a is a good starting point as well. So I appreciate you having me. Great conversation, Luke. And I love following along with you on the instas. Look forward to staying engaged. Hey there, hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Make sure you click subscribe to stay up to date with podcasts that I release every couple of weeks. And if you've enjoyed the episode, please, I really, really appreciate it if you leave me a review. And you can also find me on Instagram at Luke underscore page.